This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for professional and STEM women wanting to restore confidence, make a meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to you. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. Becky Adlington really doesn't need an introduction because of her amazing track record, it kind of precedes itself. I had a bit of a fangirl moment interviewing her because she is an English former competitive swimmer who won two gold medals at the 2008 Beijing Olympics in the 400 and 800 meters freestyle. She's Britain's first Olympic swimming champion since 1988 and the first British swimmer to win two gold Olympic medals since 1908. So she's just kind of smashing the records all over the place. And four years later, she won bronze medals in both of those events in the London 2012 Olympics. So in this episode, we talk about how despite being a two-time Olympic champion, she viewed swimming as selfish. The mental shift that she went through when she retired from swimming and went into the business boardrooms and just how amazing swimming is for all the transferable leadership skills. And we also talk about her mission to enable every child to gain the life-saving skill of being able to swim and how she's going about making that difference in the world. Becky is truly an inspiration and I took so much from this interview and I hope you do too. So welcome Becky, thank you for being here with me this morning with four dogs as well. First of all, can you just tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you're up to in the world? Yeah. Um, so obviously, Becky, um, I'm, I'm a full-time Olympic medalist swimmer. Um, I retired from swimming back in 2012, so a long, long time ago now. Um, and once I retired from sport, yes, I did lots of other things. Like I'm a celeb, I did MasterChef, all that sort of stuff, which is great. Um but I set up my own learn to swim program. Um, so yeah, that's been pretty much near enough 10 years now, which is absolutely crazy. I know 10 years, it makes me just feel so old. (laughs) I say that, but yeah, um, it's changed. It's, it's adapted. So now, um, we're predominantly building our own swimming pools, um, in like retail space. And then also we're in like schools and universities where we're in their facilities as well, just investing in their facilities. So that's predominantly. And then I still, I'm very, very lucky that I still do, um, some of the BBC stuff. So every time the Olympics are on, I get to go, um, and do the punditry and all that sort of stuff. So it's really nice that, I still get to dip my toe in the elite stuff because my world is so much around the grassroots and that kind of level. Um, It's really, really nice to still touch base with the elite stuff and still cover the Commonwealth Games and Olympics and things like that as well. I know, and I love hearing your commentary as well because I have to watch all of the swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we love the swimming. The swimming's not on enough, but yeah, it's, it's literally only on like one week a year. So it's one of those that's not too bad. And it's really nice to to still like, I'm still such a fan. So I think for me, it's just so nice because I just, I genuinely watch them anyway. Like this year we had the world championships, but the BBC didn't cover them. And I still watch the whole thing. I still yeah. absolutely love it. So even if um, the BBC aren't doing it, I'm still glued to it. <laughs> We're the same in our house, but we have cycles of sports because we have the Tour de France and we have Wimbledon and we have the swimming and the triathlon. So there's always yeah. sports on, which is great. 
I just want to start this episode with a message of gratitude. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that tunes in to listen to this podcast. By doing so, you've enabled me to live out my dream of making a world that works for everyone. And it's one of the greatest privileges in my life to have real, heartfelt and vulnerable conversations that we can all learn from. I owe you a huge thanks for being here. And can I ask a favor? I cannot tell you how much it can change the reach and therefore the impact of this podcast by doing just one simple thing. And that thing is hitting the subscribe button. So thank you. And let's continue to open up together. I have to say, when you said I'm still massively a fan of the swimming and watching the swimming and what's been going on, um, when you're in the 2008 Olympics, so the Beijing Olympics, um, you won't know this, but actually I was there right with you, like breathing with you. I'm willing you to like, I was holding my breath as you were finishing. So um, I don't want to take credit for the win, but I, I was totally there with you. <laughs> Yeah, um, I love that. <laughs> so what I want to know about, so I'm really interested in career and changes in your career and the kind of, not just the thought process that goes behind it, but also the emotional journey that sometimes we have to go through. And obviously it's a big change to go from elite sports, top of your game Olympics, to doing something different. Can you tell me a bit more about that transition and what happened for you? The thing is, I felt the transition in some ways was quite easy, in some ways was challenging, and it's probably different for every person. I think because um, obviously in Beijing, I was very, very fortunate of winning the two gold medals to get a bit of profile to promote the sport. And I almost just became like a full ambassador of the sport. I was just like, I'm just going to talk about swimming all the time. And I worked with loads of different companies for those four years between the Olympic Games where I was trying to promote swimming as much as possible um, especially learn to swim but just swimming as a whole like swimming is so good for you no matter what age and everything else and facilities closing so I kind of was lucky enough that I did loads of different stuff in those four years whether it was working with government staff working with speedo working with other learn to swim like I, I did loads so I kind of like wasn't always just focused on the elite side obviously I was in the elite side but I loved the the other side as well and I kind of recognize the real challenge around learn to swim in this country nobody sees it in this country as a life skill if you go to Australia and if you go to other countries that it is talked about as a life skill first and then it's a sport and it's a great sport but in this country we don't seem to recognize and I don't know whether that's the weather I don't know whether it's the fact that we don't have like in Australia there's these gorgeous open air pools every two seconds which is amazing and obviously ours are a little bit different in this country but we just see it so differently yet in this country we're tiny a tiny little island we're surrounded by water from reservoirs lakes canals etc I'm not even just talking about the sea so I did all of that and then after London, um, I knew straight away that that was what I wanted to go in. So I was very, very fortunate that straight away I was like, I want to do the grassroots le level. Like I, I had no interest in going into the elite level from like a coaching perspective and all that sort of stuff. Because there has been a lot of Olympians that go into whether it's mentoring or coaching or something that is that elite side. But I kind of I knew it wasn't for me that side. I, I that didn't. Um, 
just didn't inspire me enough. It, it kind of wasn't really my passion. So I kind of always knew. And I did think about, I was like, it was hard for me to figure out how I get into that. That was the real transition of, okay, how do I make that step into affecting the grassroots? And um, I was lucky enough that there is a fellow Olympian called Steve, um, Steve Parry, who was kind of on the same sort of journey, setting up his own learn to swim program. So I contacted him and I was like, would you like to go into business with me sort of thing and kind of just grew from there. And we were very, very fortunate in that, in that aspect, but it was a massive change in some ways. In some ways it was, it was easy because I knew what I wanted to do, but in other ways it was kind of a real challenge of, well, where do I begin? Where do I start? How do I make the, the impact? Because a three-year-old doesn't care if you've won Olympic medals because they don't know what it is. And it was kind of a, a really different really different avenue um but one that was so much more rewarding i found i always struggled with elite sport being very selfish and it has to be like really has to be you cannot be a good elite for anything any sports person you cannot do without being really selfish because it has to be about your performance and your recovery and what you need to do. And every, especially from an individual sport, everything evolves around you, like your schedule, your routine, your whatever. And I, I always really struggled with that. Um, and I was kind of like so nice to go into something that just didn't matter about me. That was so nice and refreshing. And I found it just so much more rewarding. Um, and I really needed that because I, I did struggle with, even though swimming was very rewarding for me personally and for my family, it's, it is very selfish. Do you know what I mean? I'm just doing my hobby and doing the thing that I love. It wasn't affecting change. I wasn't saving people's lives. I wasn't doing anything that kind of, made you feel like you, you, you're you really helping the world. Do you know what I mean? And I, and I always kind of wanted something with a bit more purpose and definitely Learn to Swim gave me that and still does. <laughs> I think it's so interesting that you use the word selfish around that. You probably saw my face and I was like, huh? I can't believe you, you described it in that way because even just being in the Olympics is an inspiration to people, particularly in sports. So for me, I don't see it as selfish, but it's interesting you do. And I talk in the work that I do about the different voices that we hear in our heads. You know, like one voice says, um, I don't know, go for a walk at lunchtime. It's beautiful outside. And the other voice says, no, you've got a hundred emails. Just sit at your desk and eat your lunch. Now, depending upon which voice is strongest determines which action you take. So what you're describing there is like there's this um, entity that we call like the selfish part or the what about me part. So when you're swimming, yeah, you're quite right, actually. There is a what about me. I have to be at training at 5.30 a.m. or get up and I have to have things revolving about around me. And then when that transition happened, you've got like a seesaw effect of this other part that was in a box, like the more pleaser part, the part that wants to affect change, the part that really wanted to help other people suddenly went, and that one came to be the more prevalent one from that moment onwards. So we often have these moments of seesaw effects in our lives as well. So I really like how you describe that. So you went into business with Steve. So I also know Steve. Um, how did you find that process of working with another person and you've obviously got your own thoughts about where you want to take it and your own vision and he will have his own so how did you amalgamate all these kind of 
different people in different parts of that? Um, that bit has been the easiest bit. <laughs> like I, I've also, obviously, I know that you know um, him as well, uh, our other business partner, Adrian Turner, and all three of us, again, I, I knew um, Steve and Adia are slightly older than myself, but I knew them from the team. So I kind of always looked up to them in their careers, etc. I remember watching them at the Athens Olympics and all that sort of stuff. So um, they were so well, well respected and they were further along into their business journey. They set up um, it from around, they started doing business stuff from around 2006. So they were kind of six years deep into that sort of stuff. And I'd worked with them loads before. Um, they were a company that I constantly had worked with throughout those four years that I talked about from Beijing to London. And I did loads of events for them and loads of things. So I was, again, I was very familiar with their business. I was very kind of much into what they were trying to achieve, their mission, everything else. So was, we were kind of really aligned. And I also think, um, coming from the world of sport, you're very, very similar in how you approach things, um, how you are, etc. You're very aligned from your values and things because you've all kind of been through that thing together. Um, and I think we took so much from sport into business and how we approach things, etc. So I found that transition really quite easy. Um, plus they had way more business knowledge than me. I, I went through a real stage of like imposter syndrome and just being like, I don't know anything about business. And it kind of, that was the, the difficulty thing for me as a person, because I have quite strong opinions and I will give you my opinions, but that's not based on experience or knowledge. And actually that can be quite dangerous as well. As well. And obviously now I have that experience and now I have that knowledge and understanding now that I'm 10 years in, but at the start, it was kind of like, it's not my place. And I kind of really just learned from them. I kind of let them be more decision makers than myself. It was just more a case of, okay, how can I fit in and where can I fit in? And that was a real transition as well, um, because I was still doing other things like I'm a celeb and everything else. So I couldn't necessarily have a day-to-day -day role. And it wasn't until really uh, the past kind of four years, four or five, like, no probably even that yeah past four years that I've really got had a day-to-day -day role before I've just been more of a shareholder more of an owner more kind of um just in real high level um board meetings and directors so I wasn't in the day-to-day -day, whereas the past couple of years is where I've got more in the day-to-day -day and found my feet and that kind of imposter syndrome goes a little bit but for the first six years it was just kind of like yeah I'll just roll with <laughs> Whatever you guys think, because you, you're you've got the the knowledge, and we've never had a big falling out ever. And in ten years, that's actually quite rare. But uh, yeah, we've never fallen out in that way. A, we have an immense amount of respect for each other, um, and and we're very very like minded. But we all want exactly the same thing. We just want to affect change in the sport. Nobody's got a hidden agenda. Nobody like it nobody's trying to outdo one another. like there's just none of that there's no no there's no nothing we're all trying to achieve the same goal and we work together really well and I think it also helps that we've all got really different strengths so we're all very very different people and I think we keep each other in check where might somebody might be going too commercial or too heavy we kind of go no and we, we we're very um open we're very candid like that um and we're very open and honest so I think that helps <laughs> 
I think it really helps that you all have, I hadn't realized that, but you all have exactly the same mission and vision for where you're taking the company. So that helps everything else fall in line. And having a group of people that all have different strengths also like covers all of the bases as well. So you, you kind of mitigate all the blind spots because you can kind of see them coming in other people as well. So I love that you have that candid approach. I know one of the things you mentioned there was, and, and I see this as well. So wherever I've lived in the world, I've always kind of gone, right, where's the local master swimming? And you go and then, or triathlon club, and you go and you find a group of people that you know you're going to like and get along with instantly. And it, it's so nice to have that because you have the same kind of like way of being. But what do you think is like the biggest transferable skill that you see from like really top level sports into business? What's What do you see as like, the transferable skill there this I think there's just so many and I think that's why it works so well because there is a lot like we're like communication I think we're very used to that level of communication because you have that with your coach and I think you have that with your your team etc um goal setting we're very um keen on goal setting in our business and I think again we were so used to that in sport. And I know that everyone will go, well, everyone goal sets. And I'm like, no, no, no. But we we are really good at goal setting and those targets. Like as an athlete, you had to have that three-year, three-month, six-month year goal. And it was very clear when you hit those markers because you either got a gold medal or you didn't. <laughs> it was it was very black and white and very clear. And in business, it's quite hard hard because there is no gold medal if you've done something good in business you you simply don't get that yes you might make a bit more profit but it's not as clear it's not as black and white and it's what you judge as your gold medal not everyone judges profit as their gold medal and everything else so again it's really difficult to measure but I think we're very, very good at like gap and gain and kind of all those improvements. And again, I think that comes from sport. We're very used to criticism. And again, that sounds really weird. But if you have a bad performance, you analyze it like you break everything down and nothing is taken personally. Nothing is taken to heart. It's never a case of, well, I've performed bad and I'm the weak. There's none of that. It's kind of like, okay, well, here's what we do next time hit and and again I think that really really helps um in business but um yeah I think it's just that leadership and everything else working together as a team that you've got to like even from an individual sport like yes it was me standing on the box and yes it's Steve as RMD that is the main one but we he, he cannot fundamentally achieve anything if we don't all play our part you have to have your your coach your sports scientist your strength and condition all these different players and if without any of those you simply won't achieve a gold medal you cannot do it by yourself and that's exactly the same as business and understanding how everyone fits together how everyone does that and I think that that is so important so basically you've got the olympic mindset to business and it's working quite well for you love that The piece on communication is really interesting because I'm noticing this with my own kids. I wouldn't, like you, I I see swimming as a life-saving skill. And I know it's even in the curriculum that all children by the end of primary school are supposed to be able to swim one length without armbands. Not many people actually know that. Um, But I always see it like, you know, you've got to be able to swim because, you know, you're in our family and it's a life-saving skill. Um, And I try to get them into all these other sports, like 
and they even went to Becky Arlington Swim Stars Total Fitness for a while. So they did their like learn to swim there. And um, I'm like, what about tennis? What about this sport? What about this sport? Because they knew what swimming involved and the level of dedication that it takes. But and and I know any kind of elite sport gets to that level anyway. So the boys this weekend were at the swim gala. And usually, like if they're at home, they'd spend a bit of time on tablets or on the computer, like with their friends, but on like face down in tablets. And it was so nice to walk past them and see them like talking to each other all day with no kind of devices or distraction. And I think it goes a long way in terms of communication from when they're even little, just communicating with each other in that way. And I remember we just didn't have phones. We weren't distracted. We were just with each other, enjoying each other's company. And I think it makes, like you said, it makes for strong communication skills moving forward and leadership skills. So yeah, thank you for bringing that one. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I must admit the kids really enjoyed the swim scheme as well. It was really good. I even have a video of Oscar doing his first five meters. Oh, that's, you know what? That's, it's such a milestone for so many families, like with their kids. Like I took both my kids from like, um, summer was three weeks old. My little boy was five weeks old because it was just out of COVID, but it, create such a family feel like every time we go on holiday I'm like as long as there's a pool we're fine yeah. like that's that's all we need is just a pool and it's it's so true so many of my memories like when I think back to swimming I don't think back to like the elite side I think back to like stuff with my family like we used to go at weekends my birthday parties been there and it's kind of especially um with my little boy it kind of created such a huge bond for us very very early on and I know you bond with your children anyway because you love them but it was just that thing where it was just so nice like I really struggled as a mum going to I'm one of those that and I know this is <laughs> I hate singing like nursery I just get dead embarrassed it's just not me I'm just like so you go to all these other groups and and you feel like hold on my kids just screaming or they're fast asleep or they want to be fed and I'm sat here singing I'm like this is not what I want to do and I really struggled with that as a mom I was just kind of like this isn't my bag and yet yeah, going swimming was the thing where I was like oh my god they're awake they're engaged they're like we're, we're skin on skin we're really like having in this like amazing time that I just never wanted the lesson to end and it kind of really created that and it was something that I loved going to that I like I know everyone will say duh you love swimming but not the baby stuff like but that was just it was just so nice to just be like that bonding time with your kids it was great it was it's what I remember with my three little ones that are now slightly bigger but that was always like a that's the class that I do. Any other classes are kind of, we'll see how they go. But that was, a, that was a thing for me, for sure, for sure. Um, good. So you've got to this point now where the three of you are working really well together. It's all going great. Tell me what happened last year then. Um, well, to be honest, it's one of those that was a complete, whirlwind because obviously um covid really really hit the business very very hard as it did everybody um pools being one of the first to close one of the last to open was a real struggle and something that i struggled with as a human being just regardless of business i really struggled that pubs opened up before 
like physical and mental health, like stuff that genuinely makes a huge impact. And I really struggled with, with the whole COVID thing of not being able to go for a swim and just, it, I really, really missed it. So it was kind of one of those that was very, obviously from a business aspect, um, not having lessons, but obviously once lessons opened back up, Obviously, everyone then was like, we need to get our kids learning how to swim because it's been like pretty much on and off for two years because the pools got closed pretty much every single time. So it was nice when it opened back up that so many people still wanted to go back to it and still want still kind of understood, OK, that priority is there in this country. It's just not feasible that you're going to take your little ones to open water. And I appreciate cold water swimming, outdoor swimming has got massive. And I love that. But that's not. That's not ideal for kids. You cannot put a baby in that environment. It's it's just not the safest environment and it's not the cleanest and not the warmest and everything else. So it's kind of always got to be um, a priority. And then it was kind of like, okay, as a business, um, we're not government funded. We're not anything like that. So how do we provide funding to open up more centers and, and kind of really deal with the crisis that is happening in the sport. There was a national shortage of swimming teachers. We've had literally, I think it's like a thousand swimming pools closed since 2010. Um, and we've had a, a, over 150 of them closed since COVID. So it was kind of really affecting the sport as in um, pool closures, because obviously COVID happened and pools couldn't stay open. But then the energy cost and the energy price really, really hit facilities extremely hard. Swimming pools, you have to heat them. It, it, it's it's just a non-negotiable. They they are freezing if you don't. They are expensive to run. It's you kind of can't escape that. It, it's just part and parcel of, of the sport. Um, again, we're not like Australia that has open air facilities. You've got you've got to heat them and run them, etc. So we were kind of going down the route of okay, how do we fund the business? Um, do we go down? debt do we go trade do we go what do we possibly do and when the trade option came on um the table from jd gyms was just like we thought that was far off we were like we're still in kind of our infancy as a business and, and everything else so it was a massive um huge shock to us to even consider that trade a, a trade um option would be there on the table um, and Steve obviously dealt with most of it being MD, et cetera, and kind of all that, that process. But it was such a perfect partnership with them being the, uh, such a huge part of the leisure industry with their JD gyms. I mean, they've got kind of over 80 gyms. It's kind of one of those that, again, are perfect for us because if they're building a gym, we can build a swim next door. Um, and it was just kind of perfect partnership, really. Um, and again, their knowledge in the industry, their kind of experience, everything else with with kind of where they are in the business has just been um, a big change, but one that's just been so welcome as well. Still the same people running the business, et cetera. We've not had a change in, in MD or kind of anything like that, but just their, their knowledge, their insight, just their support um, has definitely made the business um, a lot, lot better. And we just, yeah, it's now such a brilliant partnership and one that we're really enjoying. It's very cool to get that kind of um, financial input into the business at a time when there's a crisis happening, for sure. 
Yeah. And it's, it's not just the finance, like obviously the financial aspect is huge for us because it means we can build more centers and we can make a bigger impact, but just their, their knowledge has been amazing. They're not just a partner that's kind of like, here's the money and off you go. Like their support has been second to none, like just getting their insight. And, and the thing is like, obviously we're the first ones to kind of really do this in this landscape. So obviously with gyms, there is, there is so many gym partner, gym providers out there with pure gym, JD, all these different ones. Um, whereas with swimming, there isn't somebody that's going out there building pools and retail space, et cetera. But so I think being the first movers in that industry and having a partner like JD gyms and them sharing their experience, sharing their knowledge, that has been the, the, the biggest, um, kind of just value of anything at all. I love that. So often when we go big with something, so this is a big leap, you said, oh, I wasn't really expecting that to happen and so quickly and I'm still in my infancy, even though you've been doing it for 10 years, so you're not really. Um, it can often kick up the imposter syndrome again when we go big with stuff. And I wondered if that had happened this time or if if it hadn't. Um, It kind of has in a way that, um, I kind of wasn't really involved um, in the whole process of the buyout. That was obviously Steve, RMD and RFD. And it was kind of like, obviously I was up to date with everything, but um, I wasn't exposed to that business. So it was kind of like, oh, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know. I'd never met the the owners before. I kind of never really been in that part, part and parcel of it. So you expect a, th- a certain thing. Watching too many films is not a great thing, but you expect it to be a certain way. You expect it to be very corporate, kind of going into those board meetings. Again, it's kind of understanding, okay, this, this board environment is very different, etc. So there was that whole process of the unknown. And I, it was kind of, was it a mix of imposter or was, it's kind of hard to say whether it was imposter or whether it was just unknown and, and we kind of didn't know what to expect. But again, um, you kind of quickly find your feet when you learn about their personalities, their culture, their environment, etc. everything else. And it's kind of been one of those that, again, it's still... Um, we're only a year in so again it's quite it, it, for a business aspect it's still very much in its infancy very much still learning um kind of ways of working strengths and weaknesses etc um because of course there's going to be um what's the word um transition and I think it's just that kind of understanding okay we've moved offices in that time um different people have come in and out of the business it for right reasons, but just that integration piece. So again, we're still, I think we're still in the infancy of finding our feet with it. I don't think we're a hundred percent there. And I think that's the exciting bit because actually we're still constantly learning and changing and adapting and kind of learning things. And, and we're so open to that as well. I think the one thing that hopefully they would say about us is that we're willing to change because actually we're not perfect as a business. Um, and I think that's why it works really well because we're, we're just so open and we're just, we want to learn. We want to um, make the biggest impact possible on kind of growing this business and making it a success. And just the more things we hear about pools closing across the country, the more we w- want to build a swim there and really kind of help that community. And I think um, that's just something that we're both just really aligned on. 
For sure. And I think all of you having that transparency and that openness is critical when it comes to dealing with other people beyond just the three, the three of you. So I love that you speak your mind. I know that it can be challenging sometimes for women in particular to be in boardrooms when you might feel like, hmm, I'm now the only woman in the room or the only person of color in the room or whatever it is. And I wondered what advice you have for other people that experience the, oh goodness, I'm the only person like me in this room. Yeah. And do you know what? That was something I was really worried about when first started, because actually they're board members. Um, I was the only female. I'm very, very lucky that their commercial director sits on the board, who is a woman. So again, there is two women in the room and there has been since day dot. It was just the board directors that were appointed. So actually it's just I was worried about something on paper that then the board, it changed to who was nominated to come to the board meeting. So again, was quite lucky in that environment to have um, a, another woman in that space. And to be honest, I don't think it even comes into our existence that there is two women in the room because we're just, we're all dead transparent. There is nothing around it that is like, it, it doesn't feel um male heavy it doesn't feel like it's become like a lad's club there's none of that and i and i kind of didn't want that to happen um but luckily it it's never even entered the realm of existence so i think sometimes we do build things up in our heads or create something that actually isn't isn't there uh, to begin with for for me i kind of was a bit worried and then actually there was a woman there present and I was like, oh, I don't know why I worried about that. <laughs> so, yeah, but obviously I think it's one of those that um, everyone, whether you're male, female, like you say, a different race, different, whatever it is that you come into that boardroom, you're in that boardroom because you have a right to be in that boardroom. And I think that that is really important that you bring your value and your opinion to the table no matter who you are and I think sometimes we let our doubt cloud judgment and we let our doubt creep in and going oh I'm not going to say something there and and I'll just wait for the right opportunity and actually we, we end up being quieter than we should whereas actually sharing those different opinions I might not always be right and I'm certainly not I can tell you that <laughs> but at the same time I think it offers just a different stance it offers a different opinion it offers a different take on things so I think it's important you do find your feet and you do find that confidence to um speak up and when I say speak up I don't mean create arguments or conflicts that's not what we're doing at all but I think it's important that we just give that that opinion and I am quite lucky in this space um we are we do have a lot of mums come in to take their kids to swim in so again I can give just a mum opinion so actually, as much as I'm an owner, as much as I'm a director in the business, I try to give a mum view. And like, that's really important that I go, hold on, I'm a customer also in business and I'm a mum and this is what I want from my learn to, for my kids and my learn to swim journey. And I think it's important that we share those personal experiences as well. Um, and I try to do that as much as possible. We're relevant. Obviously, we're not going to go every like little set of detail because it's a lot more um top line but at the same time it's important that you share those views um uh, as a mom and, and as a, a parent etc especially when we're in the industry that we are and that's what creates solutions that are fit for all members of society when we hear from 
all members of society. So you having your voice and others who are listening, it's critical that we do have a voice and a seat at the table. And for me, what you talk about is, you know, and you own, you understand and own that value that you bring in that boardroom. A lot of the clients that I have are not sure about the value that they bring or they question it. And I always say to them, everyone is born with an equal value of one. You don't actually have to do anything or be anything to achieve it. It just exists because you exist in the world. And when we come from that premise, I feel like it's a lot easier to then be able to share our thoughts, our opinions, because nobody can take that value away from you. It just exists. Yeah. And I don't feel like my value is of any, like, I wouldn't be able to tell you what my value is as in like, I know Steve, like Steve is incredibly, um, he's incredibly positive. He's incredibly impactful. He's, um, one of those that financially he is so knowledgeable, like his skill set is absolutely um, amazing. Same with Adrian's. Adrian is very um, much attention to detail. He's very clued up on like the build of, of a site and the kind of the facility aspect, which I know nothing about, by the way, Matt, that is not my strength. Like I'm fine once it's built and everything else, but my knowledge of it being built of it being built is, is, is not great. Um, I just come around and I look at things and I'm like, that looks amazing, but I don't know the ins and outs to it. Whereas Adrian's very, very much that's his strength and health and safety, et cetera. So I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you what my value is and it's not something that I know what that strength is to really bring but it's important that I um just at least share my opinion even if you don't know your value I think you you're there for a reason and it's better to say what your opinion is even if you are going to be wrong like I'm not scared to ask a dumb question or scared to say an opinion that's going to get shot down because it's just simply my opinion and I think that it's better to have come away going, oh, I'm glad I shared my opinion there, even if I was wrong, rather than not say anything at all. I think that would be a worse, I would feel worse about myself coming away going, oh, I wish I had said that, or I wish I had done that, and kind of feeling a bit irritated um, because I I didn't say anything. I don't want to be that person that just comes along and just observes, like that's not who I am. I'd rather say the wrong thing and kind of go, learn something myself at least if I've shared my opinion and it's wrong I learn I learn why it's wrong and that's actually a big learning curve for me and I actually go god I I really appreciated them saying that and that I've really learned something today so even if it's wrong you've still learned so again I think it's better to do that (laughs) failing fast is the fastest way to move forward I would say yeah exactly I love that so thank you for sharing that I think that's really really helpful um, I do have another question for you though, before we finish. So if you could like go back to any time on the timeline of your life and whisper a piece of advice in your ear, which moment would you go back to and what would you say to yourself? Ooh. Um, I think it would be around COVID and I think it would be I was so upset during COVID that everything that was happening from a um, business aspect. And I remember the very, very beginning of lockdown, like I'm talking about March, 2020 and right at the beginning. And we all were like, oh yeah, there's this thing. And it's, we've got a shot for like four weeks. I predicted, cause we all put like a little thing on going, it'll be five weeks. 
And I think it so then quickly escalated into us nearly losing the business, everything else that had happened and it would just escalated. And I think I felt so out of control that really was hard for me. I am coming from sport. I am a bit of a control freak. I don't like the unknowns and I kind of, I like to just kind of be in control of our destiny and and which way we choose it. And like, if something goes wrong, it's because we've made that decision as a, as a, as a company, but we were so out of control because nothing was our decision. It was up to the government and everything else. And I kind of think I would, I would go back to that period in time and just tell myself that it's going to be okay. And actually we're all in the same boat and actually that there's nothing you can do about it. And that was the biggest, hardest time of business because nothing was in our control. And normally in business, you control your destiny because it's your, even if you've made the wrong decision and it's bad and whatever, you've made it. But actually that period was just really difficult to be outside of my comfort zone, to not be in control, to kind of just ride that wave, just felt incredibly emotional for myself. I really struggled with that just as a a person. I just really struggled with it. I don't think I've ever cried so much in my whole entire life as those six months in lockdown and just every time we would have a meeting and every time Steve phoned, I just felt sick because we, I was like oh gosh what now and it was just really difficult so I think I would go back to the, that period and just be like you've just got to ride the wave tell myself to calm down kind of deal with the uncontrollables and just kind of go with it a little bit more um but maybe it was just part and parcel of it I don't know <laughs> I don't know either I kind of did the opposite to you I projected out into the future you know as a scientist I was like following all the things and I was like so it's going to be at least till September that the kids are going to be at home like this is like from the word get go so in my mind I was already in for the long haul but I don't oh, know if, well, you did that right then <laughs> I don't know if that was helpful either because then you're like oh my god I'm in for the long haul like this is the reality for like weeks and months so I'm not sure either situation is helpful I think all we can do it really is be with what is in the moment not what might happen could happen and control what we can in the moment if we need to control those things it was so unpredictable wasn't it it was the thing but I that's what I struggled with is we kept trying to predict what was going to happen and we kept getting it wrong and actually we just got to the point where it was like we cannot predict this anymore we have just got to go with this is every scenario and we've got to just run with it and that is the only thing that you could do and it was just it was really really difficult time um and then like you said being at home with the kids and trying to manage okay I'm homeschooling my children and and everything else and just the safety element and oh gosh you can't see if it was just it was crazy wasn't it I don't like to think back to that time (laughs) I know and it's so crazy when you do think back to it that you just just like can you remember queuing up to go in the supermarket and can you remember this and yeah yeah, it's just it was a strange period in time (laughs) it was a very strange period in time I think some not just some people but I think everyone is still kind of recovering from the energy deficit that we all went into in order to kind of survive that period of time I think we're not fully resourced and caught back up yet if I'm honest I don't think so either (laughs) But the last thing I want to talk about and just pick back up is the mountain of value. 
So you've talked about how you can see everyone else's mountain of value really clearly. You've talked about Stephen, you've talked about Adrian, how like you see what they're really good at. And I, I see where they're not so good at this and they're really good at this because, you know, you can see their mountains from your the top of your mountain. But when you're on the top of your own mountain, you can't see your own value because you're sat on top of it. So sometimes we need other people to point out, Becky, you're actually really good at this thing over here and this thing. So if Adrian and Steve are listening, Becky needs to know what her mountain of value is so she can articulate it to everybody who asked the question in future. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at that, but yeah. I know, I think sometimes it is really difficult to see those things in ourselves. So I always encourage people to do a little survey and to ask people, you know, what do you see as my strengths and what do you see as my goal and my ability to get there? So talking about goals, tell me with this last question then, sneaky last question, what is your outlook? What is your next Olympic mindset goal for the business? For us, I think um, obviously we've gone through a huge transition um, over the past year. I think for myself, it's kind of like building the next set of pools that's with our funding partner, proving that we are a viable business, proving that we do know what we're doing and that it, this is the right move. And actually, like I said before, it's proving that, yes, we're the first ones to do it, but it is fundamentally the absolute the right thing to do and making the sport more sustainable and kind of making it easier. Traditionally, this country, this country's model has always been council-led facilities that cost 25 million. That That's just not going to be sustainable and that's just not the way the world of, well, our country, the UK's swimming is going to, work because councils don't have that money it's just not going to provide any sort of future for the sport and the knock-on effect of that on the nhs on mental health on the olympics we're not going to see any other olympians etc is just going to be huge and actually we're trying to solve that fundamental crisis and yes we're not going to do it alone i'm not i'm not under any illusion that our business is going to be the answer and the only answer of course it's not um of course it's about making it sustainable for councils and other, and other places as well because we're a lot of country and actually we we're always going to have children in this country they're always going to need to learn how to swim so actually it's about okay how can we all work together to achieve the same thing but for us next year, we'd love to build six more swim centers across the country. We'd love to um, help those facilities, your schools, your universities that are really struggling. We would love to invest in them. We've got a million pounds that we can invest across the country in these different facilities, make them sustainable, invest in them, get their pool plant rooms up to scratch, get their facility up to scratch so the community can use them. That's the thing. We, we only use them for 25 hours a week. The rest of the time is for that school, for that university, for that community. And it's about keeping them open and being that lifeline for those communities because they mean so much. You will get three-year-olds in there from 93-year-olds in there to club swimmers to, like you said, triathlon clubs to all these different people that use these facilities. And it's about us making it accessible. So opening as many as possible. We would like to open um, a further 10 next year. So again, that's that's the goal um, is next year. We've got one more opening at Christmas. 
um, down south actually in Chatham, which for us it's our first southern venue. So we're kind of like excited to be down south because we are predominantly northern. Um, we are pretty much Midlands up. So like Birmingham upwards is where all our venues are. To have something kind of in the south is really exciting. Um, and something that is really kind of a new venture for us, kind of being away from head office we've always kind of liked to be within a couple of hours of, of where we're based so that'll be interesting to see how that goes um and kind of just creating that presence down south and really kind of just creating that brand recognition um is really important for us everybody recognizes jd gyms and we want to be why can't everyone recognize swim um and have that brand recognition across the country so fingers crossed we can get there they're not small little goals but um, yeah, it's one that obviously with a million ch children leaving primary school unable to swim, we're only indenting it at the minute, but it's something that we've got a long way to go on. And that's the good thing about having big visions. You, you can't ever fail at them. You can only make progress towards them. And I love that you have a really big vision for it. and know that yeah, I love the mission and I love the mindset and we're fully behind you on that journey as well. So thank you so much for talking to me today. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. What was your key takeaway today? To start your intentional careers journey, take the Career Accelerator Scorecard and receive a personalized report to transform your career design strategy. All you need to do is go to scorecard.intentional-careers.com forward slash strategy. And don't worry, the link is available in the show notes.